This is Make It Plain. M.I.P. With Massimella Matfumo. Mark Thompson. Make It Plain. Get woke. Jada Wisconsin versus Kyle Rittenhouse. That's the first count of the information, Joseph Rosenbaum. We, the jury, find the defendant, Kyle H. Rittenhouse, not guilty. As to the second count of the information, Richard McGinnis, we the jury find the defendant, Kyle H. Rittenhouse, not guilty. As to the third count of the information, unknown male, we the jury find the defendant, Kyle H. Rittenhouse, not guilty. As to the fourth count of the information, Anthony Huber, we the jury find the defendant, Kyle H. Rittenhouse, not guilty. As to the fifth count of the information, Gage Grosskreutz, we the jury find the defendant, Kyle H. Rittenhouse, not guilty. Members of the jury, are these your unanimous verdicts? Is there anyone who does not agree with the verdicts as read? And with that Friday, folks, we were all, I don't know that we were shocked, but not comforted at all by the news that Kyle Rittenhouse would be set free for his crimes. Clearly, Judge Schroeder was biased. There's a lot going on in that trial. It was a bittersweet week because at the same time, Thursday, that was Friday on Thursday, we prayed so hard that Julius Jones would receive clemency. Uh, and that was a wish that was granted. So we'll talk about those two ends of the justice spectrum and then in between how black pastors were, uh, black clergy were called out and told not to come to court in the Arbury trial. So a lot going on and happy to have with us uh, my friend and brother in the ministry, the founder of Live Free, the Black Church Pack. Uh, those just a couple of things he's he, he's done. Um, so many to name, but we're so thankful for him. He was he invited me a couple of weeks ago to join him for the Live Free 10th anniversary, and um, it was one of the greatest experiences I've had. Um, and one of the reasons was folks that I had been talking to for the past year and a half have not seen in the flesh, <laughs> and just to see people and touch people, um, and I I did a lot of touching. Uh, people with consent, uh, with consent. <laughs> in, in a very Christian way, uh, we, we, uh, but it was all good. <laughs> Pastor Michael McBride joins us from the left coast, brother. How are you? You know, I am blessed uh, to be alive uh, one more day. Um, just landed from Oklahoma City, um, after as you've already stated, uh roller coaster of emotions um, and and got word of this uh, horrific outcome and so it is the best of times and the worst of times and that is truly the experience of black folks in this country but nevertheless I am blessed and and, and, and grateful to be alive yes sir brother well well first of all um, let's start with the good news mm -hmm. Uh, you all you and and a shout out to our sister uh, the Reverend CC Jones Davis. Mm -hmm who came on this show um, probably over a year ago now and, mm -hmm. and told the story of Julius Jones. This has been a fight. Um, first, there was a parole board that recommended parole. Right. 
right? And then the no good governor Stitt said, "Well, we need the clemency board." Right. And the clemency board recommended clemency three to one. Right. And he still waited. What was it? Three, two or three hours before the time of execution to grant clemency? He waited four hours. Literally, we uh, got a notification five minutes before he was about to make a public make public his decision at twelve noon. Julius Jones was scheduled to be executed at four. Uh, I had and we had with us family members and others who were literally preparing to be processed inside the prison um, to to witness the execution of their loved one. Um, he waited until arguably the last possible minute to notify us of this outcome. Uh, it was and continues to be a wicked act by, I believe, uh, immoral public servant. Nevertheless, uh, we are grateful Julius Jones' life was spared. And now we pivot to ensuring, uh, even though the, the uh, clemency says life without parole, we believe a pathway to his freedom uh, is, is laid before us. And, and that would make sense, too. I mean, I know we have to do one thing at a time. You can't. We got to get the brother away from the needle. That's the first thing. Then we got to fight the other fight. So that was very important. But but it seems to me it's hard to even justify life without the possibility of parole because the new evidence shows us, does it not, that he had nothing to do with this, right? I mean, not, not only does the new evidence show us this, um, but the, Julius himself has maintained his innocence all the way through. Uh, mm-hmm. There was an alibi that was um, uh, raised and given at the time. I think what I have found about this case to be most troubling is the the suspicion and the, the assumption of guilt from the beginning attached to Julius Jones uh, is a byproduct of the anti-blackness that is pervasive not just in the criminal justice system, but in our country, in our own communities. The idea that black folks are not uh, credible as witnesses, uh, that our claims must be met with suspicion. This is a 19-year-old college student at University of Oklahoma who, by his own admission, had struggled to maintain academic eligibility as a student athlete, went back to his hometown where he hangs out, has friends from his from his neighborhood, comrades, people he may have met along the way and was in the wrong place at the wrong time, and he was railroaded <laughs> and put on a death row track for 22 years, even though he maintained his own innocence. The evidence that has come out was from the person who cut a deal with the district attorney to only serve 15 years of a lifetime, of 30 to life sentence to point the finger at Julius Jones. And this person was out 15, at, the, at the 15 year mark and Julius has left to languish on death row. This person, Christopher Jordan, in prison said four times he framed Julius Jones to four individuals who did not know each other. And that is really what triggered, I believe, the kind of legal challenges but the state of Oklahoma refused to hear those challenges because, think about this, they felt that you could not trust the testimony of Christopher Jordan's confession, even though you used his testimony to point hmm. the finger at Julius Jones. 
This is the kind of duplicity that this criminal justice system relies on. And sad to say, too many of us are too late in the game to change it before it gets to this point. Thankfully, though, um, Reverend C.C. Jones Davis and her courageous band of organizers, followers, and activists uh, literally brought the state of Oklahoma to its knees to at least give us a partial reprieve. And for that, Mother Jones, uh, Antoinette, we're all deeply grateful. Um, um, the How old is Julius now? Julius is 41 now. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the prime of his life. The prime of his life. Yeah, and when you talk to Julius, I, I, he, he wrote me a letter several months ago uh, after I, you know, immediately started to get involved uh, and 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 talking to him several times on the phone. I talked to him the night before he was he was scheduled to be executed. The brother is not broken. Um, it's just a fascinating. He's written poetry. And, and I mean, he, it's a fascinating um, expression of not just resilience, but 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 confidence in his own innocence. And um, he had to maintain that for 22 years in solitary confinement, which is another wicked reality in the criminal justice yeah. system. Right? Yeah, yeah. So, solitary confinement is brutal. Yeah. So uh, It's brutal. I, I, I did solitary confinement for 36 hours once, and I thought I was going to die. Mm. Um, and he can't do anything, he can't go anywhere. No. Um, they wouldn't even let me have anything to read. It just was, you know, it was, it was horrible. Um, but, but, and I know this just happened, but you see a pathway to making the argument, even though, even though the governor has, has, has commuted, so to speak, or granted clemency. And it says the language is without the possibility. Um, is there still a, a legal way around that? Well, I think the legal team is 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 conferring to to figure out the pathway. But as Reverend CC and 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 Mama Jones and uh, uh, Antoinette have stated, it is a good thing that the governor is not God. <laughs> and as long as is there's life, uh, there is always a possibility. Uh, and we're going to stand on that. Their faith in Julius's innocence and their belief that he was going to come home literally. Uh, caused all of us to come into this fight. And so I'm, I'm sure there's a pathway there. Um, and uh, they'll spend the next few weeks exploring those pathways. And then we'll we'll all hopefully stay engaged and get back to work, particularly the folks in the state of Oklahoma, to continue to, to right a very egregious wrong. Yeah, no, that, that, that has to happen. More MIP after this message. It's interesting, too, Pastor Mike, as the attorney in the in the trial against Ahmad Arbery's killers mm. was talking about, you know, black pastors being problematic, it was black pastors that got clemency for Julius Jones. You all were making the case for the presence of the black church, mm-hmm. at on the same day he was accusing the pastors in Brunswick, Georgia. Of having a, a virtual lynching against his clients, he accused pastors of lynching. Mm. Pastor, but but his clients didn't lynch nobody. Mm. They didn't lynch him out Arbery. Mm. But pastors are lynching. You all proved with, with your work, the Black Church Pact, Reverend C. C. Jones Davis. Um, you all proved just how important it is to have the Black Church, Black pastors, and God on one side. 
Well, let me let me let me let me be even more pointed. This, in my opinion, starts and ends with Reverend Cece Jones Davis and her leadership. Uh, she is definitely a daughter of the Black Church, um, but she has some very powerful roots or relationships across the Christian tradition, which I think help to create the conditions for there to be, particularly in a red state like Oklahoma, enough flexibility for the prophetic power of the black church that flows through her to penetrate the very, I would call, uh, lazy fair notions of Christianity that are too often uh, status quo within American Christianity in particular. Reverend C.C. Jones Davis in Oklahoma reached black pastors and preachers who would not in many respects even respect the leadership of a woman in ministry. She reached white evangelicals, some of whom voted for Trump in this last election. The power of this campaign penetrated into the streets of, of, of Oklahoma City and beyond. I was there. They had prayer vigils and people who didn't even believe in God, believe in Jesus. They would say, I ain't prayed in years, but I'm praying for Julius Jones. They learned worship songs. They've taken communion. The power, this is the black church, I think, at its best from a cosmic uh, uh, perspective, right? That you don't have to be a member of a black church, Baptist church, Kojic church, AME church, in order to participate in the work of liberation fused by the power of the message of Jesus and the spirit of the living God. And so I do believe it's really important for us to continue to lift up the leadership of those who figured out a way to to make liberation happen through the institution, uh, but not necessarily through the kind of patriarchal hierarchy that often sometimes can get in the way. Uh, It is true, black church folk ain't never lynched nobody. And so the idea that another wicked extension of the criminal justice system would try to, you know, extend their own complicity around lynchings to the very institution that has for its whole existence fought against lynchings is another expression of why, in my opinion, American evangelicalism has lost its flavor. It's lost its salts. And the scripture says, if you've lost your salt, you have nothing left but to be thrown in the fire. Oh, I think somebody let that thing burn. And we need to start over and let them figure out how they can be born again again. But nevertheless, it is the power of faith organizing. And I'm grateful to have been able to see it for myself. More MIP after this message. Well, um, God bless you for what you all have done. This is a... Um, it was a tremendous victory of a faith won, faith earned, hard fought victory. Mm. Um, we want, and, and I'll be honest with you, you know, this is my brother. Um, we probably counsel one another. You know, people, people always talk about uh, preachers and ministers counsel other folk, but what's happening when the preachers and the ministers need counsel? And I called Pastor Mike. I said, man, because I'm, this was consuming me, just yeah. even being home. I didn't get to go down there, go, go to Oklahoma City. But I called Pastor Mike in the middle of the night. I said, man, what do you do in the days leading up to your execution? My goodness. And, you know, folks, you know, if you really get into it, and that's why I think some folks, some folks can't handle it. Because I, I even talked to Reverend Barber about it. He, we would trust talking to each other. So I'm just trying to go. I'm trying to put myself. Are you really going to serve someone? You have to put yourself in their position. And I'm thinking, what if I'm Julius Jones right now? I mean, there's one thing when you have people on death row that know there's no chance. Mm. 
they're gonna they're gonna survive. Mm. But to be sitting in a place where you there's a chance, mm. it might not. How do you get yourself mentally mm. prepared? And it 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 got to me. And I asked Pastor Mike, "How do you do that?" And I told him and and Bishop Barber, uh, "I don't know what y'all gonna have to. I don't know what y'all gonna do with me if that happens." Because no. Uh, and, and, you know, I see people walk to the chamber calmly. I'm like, no, nah, I don't, no, 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 I, 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 I don't understand that. Well, see, and, I think, so, I think it's just important to know that this country has perfected how to take someone's life. Mm. They literally in the final weeks of the scheduled execution had him in a, a chamber, I'm sorry, in a cell, eight cells i believe from the chamber and every week they will move him closer to the chamber where he was to be executed they would leave the light on all night long and ambient noises i believe were being piped into the room they would surveil him they would do strip searches to make sure that he could not take his own life that they wanted to be the ones to take his life uh he had very little to no physical touch i believe it, it, it is a way to break an individual down over time. And I just am so um, appalled to, to understand how have they learned that that is the way to prepare someone to die. This is the expertise of this empire. It has perfected the art of death. But we must be people who learn to perfect the art of living, of freedom and liberation. And that is what our days now moving forward must be consumed with. We must find the Julius Joneses in our cities and communities. Purvis Payne down in Memphis just got his sentence taken off of the death row. We must work to abolish the death penalty. We must work to, to prevent needless deaths on the streets of our cities. We must not just respond to the deaths, but we must intervene at every chance we can. And that is what Julius Jones is teaching us. That is what Pastor Keith Jossel, his spiritual advisor, a, 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 a minister in seminary, drives down to the prison every week to spend a few hours with Julius Jones for three years every week religiously. He's not even ordained yet. So don't talk to me about, I need a pulpit. <laughs> I need a church. Man, the church is out there. It's like, do you want to do ministry? Amen. There was two two young young brothers, brother Jess Edie and and JB, left the church. They're leading the prayer vigils now outside, right? Because they have been compelled by the leadership of Reverend CC and so many others, and now they've reconnected with their faith. Mm. And they're leading mm. prayer vigils. Not ordained ministers. They don't have a pulpit. So <laughs> I'm just telling you, folks. Some of us need to reimagine what ministry looks like what faithful service to God's people look like and not be preoccupied with the positionality, but not the service of the position. And I do believe that is what we have to do in these, in these last and evil days. There was even a pastor, if I'm not mistaken, or a minister who offered his life in place of Julius's. I don't remember who it was. Yes, it I don't was know a Quaker. It was a Quaker who threw himself into the governor's office and said, take my life instead of Julius Jones. He was seven-something years old. I mean, this is this is what... I mean, there's so many stories. Mark, you have to have me back another time. Or have Reverend you got to You have to bring these folk on, man. There's so many stories. They had the whole Capitol building 
folk laying hands on the floor singing worship songs. It sounded like you was in, in Carnegie Hall. The harmony was so, they have fiery speeches. Mother Jones was in there preaching like Deborah. Cece was was calling on the curses, visiting the governor's children's children's children. I mm. mean, you had you had everybody, man. Believers, non-believers, agnostics, Christians, Buddhists, Muslims, Quakers, evangelicals. It was an expression of what happens when the people come together behind a cause that is righteous. And this is the lesson of this, this whole um, journey. The hero in this story is not the governor. The hero in this story are ordinary people infused with power from God and a shared purpose organizing to reverse a wicked decision. And we have a lot of wicked decisions around us. We must continue to do this great work. Uh, Jen Psaki, the White House press secretary, was asked about the commutation uh, with the clemency Thursday. Here is her response on behalf of Joe Biden. Uh, two questions for you. Does the White House have any reaction uh, today? The governor of Oklahoma called off the execution of a death row inmate, a Julius Jones, just hours before uh, he was to be killed. It's a case that attracted a lot of attention from activists, students in the state. Uh, Mr. Jones instead will be given uh, he was sent to life imprisonment without the possibility of parole. Well, the president has made clear uh, over time that he has grave concerns about whether capital punishment as currently implemented is consistent with the values that are fundamental to our sense of justice and fairness. And certainly as looking at a case like this, uh, you reflect, and I think he, he and we all reflected on his point of view or his view and his policy position in that regard. And I'd note for us on a federal level, uh, the attorney general's halted executions at the federal level. Can, we are in the process of conducting uh, an important review of the federal death penalty, and the president believes that is an important step forward. Uh, but this, as, as you know, was a state-level uh, sentence. Uh, the action needed to be taken on the state level, uh, and so there wasn't a, a real role that the federal government could officially play in that regard. But certainly the president, president's grave concerns about the death penalty and the implementation of that are... Um, you know, uh, I think are were reflected in how he viewed this case. Yeah. A meaningful statement from the White House. Yes. Well, yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad they spoke up. I wish they would have spoken up earlier. I know there were some, you know, concerns that if the president or prominent Democrats spoke out, uh, that it may sway the governor in the opposite direction. But I will say to all of us, the Democrats have not been uh, very powerful <laughs> in making sure that this is a part of the Democratic platform. We should end the death penalty in America. White victims account for approximately one half of all murder victims. 80% of all capital cases involve white victims. As of October 2002, 12 people have been executed where the defendant was white and the murder victim was black, compared to 178 black defendants executed for murders with white victims. This is from the ACLU. So what we know is that the death penalty is a racist practice. It is not applicate. Uh, it is not applied equally across race. Um, it is prominently used to uh, kill individuals who have been convicted of killing white folk. And so the Democratic Party has to continue to be a vanguard in racial justice issues, and not wait until. Uh, these incidences pop up and then are slow to speak out. Uh, there were literally over a dozen countries, Germany, uh, Belgium, 
I think Czechoslovakia, uh, uh, France, sending letters to the federal government. They weren't sending it only to Governor Stitt, but also to the federal government calling for them to intervene. Why? Because there is a role for the federal government to at least be a drum major for these issues, even if they don't have jurisdiction over them. And so I do believe it's a great statement after the fact, but I would hope that the president and this administration would ex expedite their uh, reviews to end the death penalty. So the next president, who may have a bloodthirsty political uh, anti-black sensibility, like the Donald Trump presidency, uh, cannot use the state to execute more black people. Democrats have to, when they have power, use power to end the death-dealing machine of this country. Um, and as we acknowledge, that blessing on Thursday and then the travesty on Friday, mm. The it's almost as if, Pastor Mike, these things one on top of the other. It's like Satan is busy. Mm-hmm. And Satan in the form in the space of these white in in the face of these white supremacists, they're calling us out, man. They're challenging us. Mm -hmm. Like, what y'all gonna do? What y'all gonna do? Right. I mean, so so what 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 do you say to those who were elated on third elated Thursday and then set back Friday? And and again, you mentioned you know uh, white deaths. I mean, this is a situation where a, a white boy killed some other white folks and who happened to be out there in defense, but who never would have been out there if a black man, Jacob Blake had not been killed mm -hmm. and the judge, um, uh, tailored the trial in his direction, mm -hmm. showed him favoritism throughout the trial. Mm -hmm. And now there's no accountability for that. And, and this obviously is going to encourage more vigilante violence, uh, in the wake of January 6th. This lets people know, lets white folks know, yeah, I can go get AR 15 and just go ahead and shoot whoever I want to. Well, I, I, I have a couple things to say. Certainly, um, Angela Davis says freedom is a constant struggle. And yeah. so, uh, you know, the high of yesterday, however high you got, even if you got a little high because we didn't get the whole thing we wanted, um, you know, you may be at a low today. I was certainly devastated getting off the plane to hear about uh, this uh, acquittal. Um, I do believe that this has the potential to embolden white vigilantes across the country. Um, this, in my mind, means that we need more white folks to join racial justice fights and be on the front lines to help shield and buffer the, the kind of uh, white lash that is manifesting uh, through the kind of uh, uh, militarized uh, white citizenry who are seeing themselves protected by the kind of rise of fascist light, uh, Christo-fascist expressions that are now being emboldened by certain kinds of judicial decisions. But I also believe this, man. You know, um, at some point, we as followers of Jesus, and I'm just going to talk to, you know, Christians, have to learn to pray some different prayers. Uh, you know, I think sometimes we spend way too much time trying to get along with some of these folk versus, you know, asking for their defeat and demise. Mm. Um, you know, I, I, I think you can leave the porch light on for folk to come home who are ready to repent. But if you're not ready to repent, I think it's time for us, as David prayed in precatory prayers, to ask God to defeat these folk, rob them of their power, mm. put them in places where they have to be vulnerable 
to the to the leadership of those with more just ideas and sensibilities. And so we have to have, I think, a more bold expression of public faith um, that does not devolve to uh, trying to talk to our kids about our value. No, let's keep talking to these individuals who are discipling white supremacists and tell them that they're discipling white supremacists. Let's yeah. keep telling the truth to these folks who can have people sitting in their churches Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, whatever day of the week, and yet they feel okay to go buy AR-15 for their child and, and send them out to go uh, hunt folk and shoot folk and terrorize folk and then get on the stand and cry like you were the one who was being assaulted. Let's tell the truth to these folk that they are wicked full of the devil and they own their way to hell. And my prayer is that if they want to be saved, they must repent. And I don't have any desire for us to continue to allow our lives to be overly dominated um, and shaped by these kinds of individuals. And so our activism must be more bold. Our organizing must be more bold. Our analysis must be more bold. But I also say our discipleship, our faith practices must be more bold. Uh, we know what faithful Christianity, faithful religion, uh, uh, they sing that song, Have You Got Good Religion? Yeah. Right. Which meant that there's some bad religion out there. We, right. need, we need to be clear about that and, and make sure that uh, we can we can tell the truth about that as we do this work. Yeah. It doesn't say if you got religion, it says you got good religion. Good religion. They got a qualifier in there. right? That's right. So it means it must be a bad one. Uh, Pastor Mike, we thank you for the work you're doing. And again, folks, just so you know, Live Free has made a big difference in terms of uh, gun violence. Mm. You know, because because that's that's tied uh, to Rittenhouse, too. Yes, it is. Again, this this does not happen if people don't have access to these things. Mm -hmm. Build Back Better past Friday. Yes. And and the funding for five community million group, dollars. That's right. Five, that's that made it through. Correct. It made it through. And now it's in the hands of the Senate. And we are relatively confident that even with whatever uh, negotiations that need to happen in the Senate, uh, two and a half billion dollars will be put in HHS. Two and a half billion dollars will be put in the Department of Justice, all to go towards uh, scaling up community violence interventions that do not center law enforcement strategies to create peace in our communities. They will fund black and brown led organizations, individuals, experts, researchers, TA providers to scale up strategies that we know work to reduce gun violence without growing the criminal justice population and system. It's a historic investment, uh, and uh, we are uh, in a city near you, I'm sure, trying to get this work done. It's time for the streets and the sanctuary to come together. Preachers and Pookie, it's time for all of us to, to join together and save our communities from the inside out. Uh, there's enough of us to fight these battles all at the same time. Let's get it done. Well, my brother, I just want to thank you again for inviting me to be a part of the Live Free Anniversary. Oh, yeah. And to just to touch the, the hem of the garment Come of the living. I want y'all to know this was this was the voice of God for our, our, our <laughs> event. He wasn't there, he wasn't there for he wasn't there, you know, just touching for praise God. He, he was the voice, <laughs> he was the voice of God. We had to use that Mark Thompson uh award-winning voice of God to get us on and off that stage. Thank you for lending your your uh, your gifts to us, man. And uh, well, thank you, you know what I, you're doing. I, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy, <laughs> but I, I so appreciate you. Folks, uh, Pastor Mike of Live Free, the Black Church Pack, uh, uh, Fun Peace.
he's doing uh, so much in our community. And he was there in Oklahoma City, keeping vigil, working every day uh, to see to it that Julius Jones was granted clemency. He, along with Reverend C.C. Jones Davis, whom you've all met before, and we'll have her back soon as well. Our brother, thank you. Okay. Love you, man. God bless everyone. All right. God bless you, too. Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. Please remember to listen, like, and wherever you get your podcasts, please give the show a five-star rating. And please do spread the word. Let's all continue to pray for each other during this pandemic and this police-demic. If all hearts and minds are clear, it has been made plain.